Good morning, and happy Palm Sunday. Thanks, team. May Christ be exalted over all. Amen? That's my goal today. That's our goal as a church. That's what we desire, to see Christ exalted, to lift his name, to give him praise. He's the only one that's worthy. If you have your Bible with you today, I want to encourage you to turn to John chapter 12. We will eventually be there. Uh, take a little bit of time for us to get there, but John chapter 12, if you'd like to turn there. The big news in our house lately is that my son got his driver's license. Uh, it's remarkable to me the difference in the thinking I have when I got my driver's license compared to when my son got his driver's license. Um, so the, the laughing tells me that some of you know what I mean by that. Uh, he's actually a really good driver to his credit, um, but... As a dad, you, you just sort of fall into this parent mentality, right? Like, oh, be careful. You know, don't, don't whatever. Don't do this. Don't, you know, I'm sure I drove him nuts when he had his training per, or driver's permit. I was in the car right next to him, right? Slow down. Uh, yellow light. Don't go. Wait for them to go. <laughs> Especially coming up to an intersection, right? which uh, is actually warranted because the Federal Highway Administration says that more than 50% of the combined total of fatal and injury crashes occur at or near intersections. We're going to be entering into a series of messages surrounding Easter on this theme of intersection. The idea is to consider what happens when Jesus intersects with various things and people and events and times. An intersection, if you think about it, is an opportunity to continue in the same direction or to make a change of course. Multiple times throughout Jesus' ministry, he intersected with people and the course of their lives changed forever. I'm imagining that I'm talking to a group of people who understand what that means. At one point in time in your life, you had an intersection with Jesus, and the course of your life changed. I want to propose to you as we begin that the cross itself is actually an intersection. In his book, Max Lucado wrote this. The book is called He Chose the Nails. He says, the cross is the universal symbol of Christianity. An odd choice, don't you think? Strange that a tool of torture would come to embody a movement of hope. Its design could not be simpler. One beam horizontal and the other vertical. One reaches out like God's love. The other reaches up as does his holiness. One represents the width of his love, the other the height of his holiness. The cross is the intersection. The cross is where God forgave his children without lowering his standards. The cross is an intersection in many ways. It's the most significant point in time that ever occurred in all of history when eternity changed forever. While many people who witnessed the event didn't understand its significance, Jesus certainly did. And as he approached the intersection, 
he intentionally chose to go down a road of suffering. As we get started today, I want to remind you about Jesus' perspective or attitude as he was approaching the cross. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. What that means is he had an inflexibility and an undeterred path, determination to go to the cross, regardless of the fact that it was also suffering. He intentionally chose to approach the intersection because he loves us. As we come into Palm Sunday today, we are remembering the moments of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on what is sometimes referred to as the Holy Week. I want us to look together at Jesus as he approaches the intersection. Thanks to Jerry for reading part of our passage for us. The text is actually going to be John chapter 12, verses 12 through 50. I'm not going to read all of those. I'm going to give you a little bit of a summary, and we're going to eventually pick up at verse 36. But before we do that, I want to tell you there is something of significance about Palm Sunday and Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Stick with me for just a second. This is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's fascinating, and I think you'll find it fascinating. It also involves a little bit of math, and I know you all love math on Sundays, so stick with me on this. In Exodus chapter 12, when God initially reveals the plan of Passover, uh, he says a couple things. You don't have to turn there. Let me just read a couple things of what he says. So God is instituting Passover. He says, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to his father's house, a lamb for his household. I'm going to skip down a couple verses. Verse 5 says, your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Now, the way Hebrews kept time, a new day began at twilight. So the slaughtering of the Passover lamb happened at twilight on the 14th day of the first month, and that began Passover on the 15th day of the first month. If we go back to John chapter 12 now, well, let me, let me say this first. We know that Jesus was crucified on the day of preparation, right? How do we know that? Well, because the people who came to the authorities said, let's take the bodies down off the, off the crosses because today is the day of preparation and tomorrow is a Sabbath. So we know the crucifixion happened on the day of preparation. The, well, I, I won't say that yet. The day before Passover, the day before Passover would begin. If you think about it, uh, if you know the story, darkness came over the land from the 6th to the ninth hour, right from 12 o'clock noon till 3 p.m. It's almost like God started twilight a little bit early that day, kind of just moved it up a little bit. Okay, so look at this in, in John chapter 12, verse 12. So again, what I was saying is Jesus was crucified as Passover began. 
John chapter 12, verse 1, excuse me. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. And then when you look at verse 12, it says the next day. Okay, so here's the math. Ready? Passover was the 15th day of the first month. Okay, minus six days because it says six days before plus one day because it says the next day. Okay, all you math people, tell me the answer. Ten. Thank you. We have a really good math major here. I'm not sure. Ten. Tenth day of the month. Okay, so Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the tenth day of the first month. The same exact day that the Israelites in the Old Testament were supposed to go pick a spotless lamb, bring it into their house, keep it for four days until it was sacrificed on their behalf. I like biblical math. I think God likes biblical math because God puts those kinds of details into the Bible for a reason. Let me tell you the significance of it if you haven't already gotten there. Right, the significance of it is this. It means that in the 1200s or so BC when God instituted the Passover, his thoughts were on the ultimate fulfillment of that Passover at the point in time when Jesus would enter into Jerusalem and be crucified as the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. For us, what that means is that God had our redemption in mind, not only when it happened at the cross, but also in 1200 B.C., when, the, when Passover was instituted, and I think we could go so far as to say God had our redemption in mind from eternity past. What that means for us is he loves us. He loves you. And he had a plan for you. And his plan for you didn't start when you were born. His plan started for you much sooner than that. So anyway, that's my tangent. After Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem, he teaches the people... And then sort of a strange thing happens. God the Father speaks audibly, and the people hear it. I know that's not the sort of thing you can skip over, um, so let me just read that for us. It's in verse 27. Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Um, there's not that many places that we know of where God audibly spoke. This happens to be one of them. Okay? Look at what the people's response is in verse 29. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. <laughs> okay, God just spoke audibly. The people heard it, and they said, uh, that was thunder or something. These were an unbelieving people. They, they had an expectation that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem for a different reason than Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. Now, the Old Testament, or in the Old Testament, when God spoke at Mount Sinai, the people perceived it as thunder and lightning and the sound of trumpets, but that's not what happened here. Right? Look at verse 30. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. 
He's saying, you are supposed to hear and understand that God was speaking to you, and you said it was thunder. They were unbelieving. Has there ever been a time in your life when you knew God was speaking to you, and yet you played it off as something else? If God were to speak to you today, if God were to speak to you today, how would you respond? Would you respond believing? Or would you say it's something else? The people in this story continued in their unbelief. Jesus reveals to them part of the redemption plan. He says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And they say, how in the world can you say that? That doesn't make any sense. They're arguing with the Savior about the plan of salvation. These are unbelieving people. You see, the people were convinced that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem to overthrow the Roman rule, right? Kick out the oppressors, bring in freedom. They had a very temporal way of looking at what Jesus was coming to do. Clearly, these people who just rejoiced at Jesus' arrival had absolutely no idea why he really came. even though he tries to tell them they disagree with him? Did you know that these people who on Palm Sunday said, Hail him! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know it's the same people that a few days later said, Nail him! We're going to pick up in verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they said, therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even many of the th authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees, sees me, whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. For if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I therefore say, I say as the Father has told me. Would you pray with me? Lord, 
as we come into uh, just this day and we watch what you did and we hear your words and we see an unbelieving people, our desire today is to be a believing people. We need your help. Lord, thank you that you've given us your word. I pray now that your spirit would come and move among us. We believe that you've given us your spirit to take from the things that are yours and make them known to us. We believe you've given us your Holy Spirit so that we can see and exalt you in your name. And so that's our desire just now as we look to your word. Would you come and be our teacher? Would you open our eyes to see the things you want us to see? Would you help us to hear? And would you help us to believe? In your name we pray. Amen. So I have three simple points I want to focus our attention on today. I'm hoping that they'll be up on the screen behind me in just a second. What we're going to do is sort of follow along through the passage, and we're going to fill in a few blanks. It's pretty simple. The first point is this. It is possible to see and worship without believing. It's possible to see and worship Jesus without believing. We can get that from a couple different places in this passage, but I want you to see it from verse 37. It says, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Jesus had been doing ministry at this point for three years. These people had heard about or seen him doing miraculous things for a significant period of time. They had heard him teaching. They knew exactly what he was saying. In fact, this particular crowd that's with him is a Passover crowd. So Passover was a time when all of Israel would come into Jerusalem for a feast. There would be a sacrifice of the Passover lamb, and people would eat the, the Passover lamb together as a family. So many people had come together. We know that the crowd that we're speaking about right now actually showed up at Lazarus' house six days before when Jesus was there. Lazarus is the guy, if you don't remember, who Jesus raised from the dead. So this crowd is following Jesus around, not only watching him and looking at him, but also looking at the people who he has inter intersected with previously. Now that's one heck of an intersection if you think about it, right? He raised Lazarus from the dead. Go ask Lazarus what his intersection was like with Jesus. What happened? How did he intersect your life? And what kind of a path did he put you on instead of the one you were on? Uh, well, I was in the grave kind of starting to stink, right? And all of a sudden, Jesus called me out, and now I'm living for him. There's uh, some Greeks in the crowd as well. There's some Greeks that come to uh, Philip in verse 21 and says, hey, we want to see Jesus too. So many people had come out to see Jesus. Now, not all of the people in the crowd were there because they believed that Jesus was the Savior of the world. Right? Some of them came just to see what might happen. Some of them came because they had a fear of missing out. I learned recently that that is actually something that's been added to the dictionary, FOMO. I had no idea that that was a word. Those of you like me who are over the age of 40 can look that up later on Netscape Navigator. <laughs> Does that still exist? No, I don't think so. Uh, so yeah, people had come for various reasons. Some of them in the crowd probably were looking for a free lunch. Hey, I heard Jesus gives out free lunches, 
right? A couple times he's been doing that. Maybe some of them were there because they wanted to see the political action when it started and the military action when it started. People were there for various reasons. We know that there are some that are in this crowd that were actually there because they believed Jesus was the Messiah, but it certainly wasn't all of them. The point is this, someone can see Jesus and not necessarily believe in Jesus. If we back up a little bit in the story, we know that when Jesus came into town, they were praising him and worshiping him. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? They were lifting up his name. Now, sitting here on Palm Sunday, it's easy for us to assume that when they sing or shout Hosanna, that they mean the same thing that we mean. That's not true. When we shout Hosanna, we say, blessed is he who came in the name of the Lord and saved us from our sins and brought us into eternity. For them, it was much more temporal. Blessed is he who comes into Jerusalem today to save us from the oppression of the Romans. Is a lot of what they were saying. Very temporal. So again, it's possible to see and even worship Jesus without believing. That remains true today. And it's a warning that we should take to heart. There might be some listening right now who have seen and have worshipped Jesus, but have not yet believed. Now, that's not necessarily a bad place to be in. In order to believe, you must first see. You need someone to show you. You need someone to tell you. You need to go read and see for yourself. Who is Jesus? What did he do? Why does it matter? You need to determine for yourself whether you will believe or not. But there is space here to do that. So if you're someone who wants to know more about him, wants to ask questions, wants to understand what he did, we absolutely want to be answering those questions for you, engaging in a conversation with you, helping you to understand and see. But I also want to say this. It's important for you to take the next step at some point. You could come here or listen online every single day, every single Sunday, for the rest of your lives, and you could see Jesus, and you could worship Jesus, and you could still be eternally separated from him because it takes believing in Jesus to be saved. It's possible to see and even worship without believing in Jesus. It's important that there is a step to take. Here's my question. If Jesus were to speak to you today, if Jesus were to speak to you today and tell you that it's time to believe, how would you respond? Now, before we move on through the rest of my points up here, I think we have to speak to this quote from Isaiah that's in the middle of this passage. I would like to just skip over it. That would be much easier, uh, but we'll look at it. So starting at verse 38, it says, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, 
and I would heal them. It would be easy to take this kind of a passage out of context and say that God is spiteful and unfair. You could, you could look at this and say, how is it fair for God to first determine whether someone would hear and understand and then hold them accountable for not hearing and understanding? Again, context is important. Remember what John has been telling us. John has been telling us this, this is an unbelieving people. These people heard God speak from heaven and said, that's not God. We don't believe that. So in this situation, the judgment on these particular people is for their unbelief. Did you know that, that God actually judges people for unbelief? There was coming a day when all who refuse to believe in Christ will be judged based on their own sin. So I want to continue moving through this passage and uh, move on to sort of our next point. So if you're following along, we're ready to fill in some more blanks up here. The second point is this. It's possible to believe without confessing and following. It's possible to believe without confessing and following. Um, Look at the uh, authorities in verse 42. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. It's possible to believe without confessing and following. Now, we know that from Scripture, but I can tell you I know it from my own life. I know that there's times when God prompts me, and I need to speak up, and I don't. There's times in my life that God leads me towards a following, a certain thing I need to do, and I resist. It's possible to be a believer and yet not confess and not follow. I want to talk about those two things just briefly, following and confessing. Jesus actually spoke about this idea of confessing earlier in his ministry. In Luke chapter 9, he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory. And just a couple of verses before that, a very popular verse that says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So let's start with following, and then we'll also talk briefly about confessing. Jesus' call on a believer's life is to follow, right? Following is specifically following him in his approach to the cross, in his approach to the intersection. He calls us to take up our cross in the same way that he took up his. Now, this verse gets misunderstood a lot. I'm sure you've had someone say, Someone describe to you some difficult thing that's going on in their life, and then they say, oh, it's just the cross I have to bear. That's not really what this verse means. When it says to us that we're to 
deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, it means we are to approach the intersection the way he did. It means we are to put our thoughts not only on ourselves and our own desires, but we are to die to ourselves and consider what God's calling us to. Sometimes it's something he's calling us to change in our thinking. Other times it's things he's calling us to change in our living. Following Christ is following him to the cross, taking up our own cross and letting him take the effects of our crucifixion with him and make them real in our lives throughout our life. I wish I had more time. I, I could preach on that forever. Uh, this is, this is an influential piece that will open up freedom in your life, but I don't have time to talk about all of that today. I do want to ask you this question. If Jesus were to speak to you today and ask you if you would take up your cross and die to a long-held attitude or habit, how would you respond? How would you respond? When we believe we are to take up the cross and follow Jesus into a life of sacrifice that first brings glory to God, but also reflects Christ in the way that we live and demonstrates love to the world. In addition to following, believers should also be those who confess Christ and share him with people around. Do people know you're a Christian? Or like the authorities, maybe do you kind of keep that on the down low so that nobody looks down on you? In the context of the times that we live, but also in the church that we are in and what we believe, I want to suggest to you that the way that we live this out, the way that we live out confessing Christ is not necessarily, now stay with me, it's not necessarily speaking about Christ all the time, everywhere we go, no matter the situation, no matter the time, okay? But instead, it is listening to the Holy Spirit of God when he prompts you, being willing to speak about Jesus anywhere you go at any point in time with anyone you run into, all right? The distinction is, is small there, but it is, this, this, it is this idea of being spirit-led. If we are followers of Christ, we don't just go off on our own and determine what we're going to do. If we're followers of Christ, we listen to him. We listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit says, go confess Christ to someone, we go. If Jesus were to speak to you today, and ask you to talk to him, talk to your neighbor about him. If he were to ask you to talk to your relatives about him or a coworker about him, if Jesus were to speak to you today, how would you respond? So, so far we've, we've seen two ways that the people can sort of get things mixed up. Right, they can, or we can, see and worship without believing we can believe without following and confessing. And I want to finish up by filling in the rest of our blanks. Let's actually look at John chapter 12, verses 44 to 
47. It says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. For if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I came, I did not come to judge, but to save the world. So let's fill in the blanks. Believing in Jesus brings light and salvation. I know it's not quite as catchy as the other two. Believing in Jesus brings light and salvation. Darkness is used in the Bible to describe this general idea of being apart from God. In 1 John 1, 5, God says, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. He defines himself as light. And so as Jesus comes into the world, he brings light so that we can see and no longer be in darkness. Now, a few weeks ago, I met a couple friends after the service. A couple gentlemen sitting right down here, Liam and Brandon. They recently came to know the Lord. And uh, in the conversation I had with them, they expressed to me the change they felt in their life. Okay, so Brandon basically said, Uh, the experience that he felt was almost as if a weight had been lifted. Maybe you can relate to that. And Liam said, it was as if he could suddenly see. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He came into the world as light so that we could see. So that things could now suddenly be clear, we would no longer have to walk in darkness, and we can see that he's the light of the world. There's a second statement. Uh, there's a statement in verse 47 that I kind of find to be remarkable. Verse 47 says, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The bottom line is that Jesus is saying he came to save the world. Right, The people in this particular story thought he was coming to save the city of Jerusalem. That was wrong. Sometimes we think Jesus came to judge. That's wrong. He very clearly said he came to save. Now, there is a time he's coming back, and we'll talk about that some other time when he will judge. The purpose for his coming into the world was to save you. Jesus' purpose for going to Jerusalem was to save you. His purpose for being wrongly accused was to save you. His purpose for being beaten and mocked and despised and rejected was to save you. His purpose for allowing himself to be nailed to a cross was to save you. His purpose for being buried in a tomb and being raised victoriously to life three days later was to save you. It was to save us. That's the reason why he came. Hallelujah! That's the reason why Jesus came. He came to save us. Now, I know I'm sort of leaving my Palm Sunday passage. I'm giving you a forecast of what's coming, but I think you already know what happens on Good Friday and Easter. If you don't, come on back and find out, right? (laughs) Jesus teaches that every person on this earth is a sinner. Now, whether you believe that or not, or maybe you look at certain things as big sins and other things as small sins, we've all broken God's law. And the Bible says that when we break God's law, we must be punished, and that punishment is eternal separation from God. 
I want to finish just with maybe two quick things that I think or I want to share with you why he came. If you did a survey of the entire Bible, you could find lots of reasons why Jesus came. Number one, he came to save us. Let me just share two that I like. Jesus came because he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Right? The Bible tells us that we're sinners. The Bible tells us what the penalty of that is. And there's really no hope for us. There's nothing we can do about it ourselves except for to die in our sins and to be judged. But when Jesus comes into the world, he does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He takes our sin upon himself. He lays down his life on our behalf. And three days later, he victoriously takes it back up again. He deals with our sin. He deals with God's judgment for our sin. And yet, on the other side of it, comes out victorious. He came because we needed someone to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And second, and I'll kind of close with this, he came because he loves us. Jesus came because he loves us. His love for you and I was the ultimate reason why Jesus came. It's the reason why he went into Jerusalem knowing what was going to happen. It doesn't matter how many bad things you've done. It doesn't matter how much you've rebelled. It doesn't matter the thoughts you had earlier this week. Jesus knew those things, and none of it could keep him from loving you. None of it could keep him from coming. None of it could keep him from going to the cross for you. Sometimes those of us who've been forgiven, even after we understand we've been forgiven, we walk around with guilt and shame over the things that we've done years ago. Did you know that when Jesus walked through the streets of Jerusalem, people mocked him, they stripped him, they beat him, he was humiliated. He walked in shame through the streets of Jerusalem. He hung in shame on a cross. Not only did he take our sin and pay a penalty for our sin, he also dealt with our shame. So those of us who are walking around with shame and walking around with guilt over the things that we've done, quit it. Jesus died for those things, yeah. right? For you, for you to continue to walk around with those things is to basically say you really don't believe the blood of Christ was enough to deal with them. Well, I can tell you it was. As I close the service now, I, I want to invite the team to come up. Uh, they're going to lead us through a song, and it's going to be a little bit of a time for you to respond, to reflect on maybe what God might be saying to you today, and for you to respond in whatever way you feel the Spirit of God might be leading you. I'm not necessarily going to tell you what you need to do. We're going to leave that to the Holy Spirit of God. That's his business, not mine. But I do want to say this. If you are someone who has been seeing and maybe even worshiping Christ but have not truly believed, I want to invite you to take a step towards that today. If God is impressing on you, maybe even today, to take some sort of a step towards him, I want to encourage you to respond. Maybe during the song, if you would come down front and go over to the right, if you want to talk to someone, someone would be glad to talk with you. If you want to just process what God is saying to you today, if you want to begin to work through what does that next step look like, we would love to engage you in that. And there's an invitation open to you if you would decide that today you want to know more about that. 
We also saw today that some believe but are resistant to confess and follow. And so I want to make an invitation to you as well. Maybe God is calling you to something more in your relationship than you've experienced up to this point in time. You have an option. You could hear God speaking to you today, and you could get up out of your seat and walk out the door and go into your life. And by the time you eat lunch, you're going to forget what I said, but especially you're probably going to forget what God said to you. And so my invitation to you is, if God is speaking to you today, I would invite you to come fr- forward to the front and go over to this side. No one's going to come talk to you. No one's going to interrupt what God might be doing in you. It is your chance to confirm receipt. Confirm that you heard God say something to you today. You don't have to do anything drastic. You don't have to make drastic changes today. Just tell him you heard him. As we sing now, we're not going to give you instruction for how you should worship. If the Holy Spirit leads you to sit, then sit. If the Holy Spirit leads you to stand, then stand. But I encourage you to listen for him, hear his voice, and respond to what he might be leading you towards. I do want to tell you this. The song is kind of short, so don't delay. If God is speaking to you today, confirm receipt.